Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Just Me, the podcast where we discuss all manner of hugely not important things, which actually, as far as I'm concerned, that makes them the most important things to discuss at any given time. I've got an amazing lineup of guests today with me. We've got Kat Brown, one of my normal partners in crime with me. We've got Sally Hughes today, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of things, such as whether or not it's really ever okay to ghost anyone for any reason at all. Is it all right to slightly feel jealous of the old you who had the old Old life, whether you're now in a relationship or now you've got kids, are you missing that old life and is that all right? And is it okay to leave an argument just unresolved and just have that fight? Buckle up, I think it's going to be fun. Hi, Kat Brown. Hello. And hi, Sally Hughes. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me today on Is It Just Me? Because otherwise it would be just me and then that wouldn't be any fun whatsoever. It'd be quite sad, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's been known. Um, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for coming along. Um, I've wanted to have you as a guest on our podcast for a long time. Mm. Where's, you know, Glamour's Hey It's Okay, which has now evolved into Joe's Is It Just Me? But, um, you know, in my old life, um, you were just doing far too many things that Glamour saw as competitive. And so I feel, oh. I feel quite liberated now that oh. I can have you. Free from the shackles of the corporate world. Yeah, and I I'm love like that. My corporate branding. And I can admit that all my friends, um, you know, their first port of call for any beauty advice oh. was Sally Hughes, actually. So oh, that's so nice yeah. to hear. But it's true. Good. That that makes me feel very happy. Lots of work goes into that column, and it, it doesn't look like much because it's very short, but tons of work goes into it. So when people tell me they trust it, I feel quite gratified. Yeah, and how much work does go into it? Because I know you you and I are Facebook friends. Yes. And you're one of the most prolific Facebookers. Am I? In fact, in my circle anyway, I feel like if I open Facebook and Sally's isn't one of the first I see, then I'm thinking Ooh. she's trapped under a fridge and we need to get <laughs> Ooh, this sorted. Is Sally okay? Much in the past couple yeah. of weeks. That makes me feel slightly ashamed. No, no, no. I, too much. No, because now I feel like I know you. But what I was going to say is that 
you know, it does come up in the private space of Facebook that sometimes on Twitter and other social media, there's still this belittling of beauty journalism or fashion journalism. And it is very frustrating when you put so much work into knowing your patch. Yeah, I find it really irritating. I think it's probably fair to put everything under the umbrella of female pursuits, to be honest. I'm not sure it's just beauty. It's, as you say, it's fashion, it's food. It's all the things that people traditionally see as a woman's interest tends to get belittled. Um, I find it immensely irritating. It used to be that I would spend quite a large amount of time on a Saturday morning kind of taking down people who said these things to me and I would compose a sort of thousand-word intellectual argument telling them why they were terribly stupid for, for assuming that I was shallow and thick because I was writing about these things. But actually, I then just decided life's too short yeah. um, and I no longer waste my time doing it. But, but certainly, the... There is a group of people, mainly men, but some women who kind of say, um, you know, instead of writing about a £50 moisturiser, why aren't you inoculating the children of Darfur or whatever? Yeah. As though as though women can't possibly keep their pretty little heads on more than one thing at any given time. But, of course, we all have multi-layered lives and we're interested in lots of things. It, it, I find that the most frustrating argument that people throw out, and I don't know what you think, Kat, where it's like what if you're talking about something, if you're enjoying yourself, then you're inconsiderate or you're not thinking about the horrible things happening in the world. There does seem to be quite a lot of shaming about the fact that you just enjoy stuff and that actually sometimes you do want to put on like a lovely serum or something just to make your face just feel a bit happier and to make and to give you that little bit of extra confidence. But what gets me about it is that if a man spends £50 on a ticket to the football, nobody presumes that he's shallow, nobody presumes he's a little bit stupid, nobody presumes his priorities are so out of whack that he has no idea what's going on in the world. Whereas that happens all the time with female pursuits. Now, personally, I would argue that fashion and beauty are more important than football. I genuinely would. Because fashion and beauty are how you present yourself to the world. They're how you express yourself. They're um, how lots of women get their self-respect or some of their self-respect and some of their self-confidence. I actually think it's a much more substantial area than wine tasting or football. And yes, I know some women are interested in those things too. Don't dis wine tasting. (laughs) Hey, I love wine. I'll never dis wine. (laughs) But, you know, things that are seen as male pursuits, however frivolous they are, sit alongside their weightier interests. But the moment, if you're a woman, you say you love clothes and you love makeup or you love hair and nails, whatever it is, you're immediately in the category of a little bit thick. Yeah. Mm. I know, it's so sad, isn't it? It's like sex in books almost. I went to... My book club went to lunch with uh, Jilly Cooper the other day, which was wonderful. You haven't but, mentioned that, Kat. I know. I would dine out on this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so you, so you yeah. have my permission to yeah. wang on about but this. It, but it is this thing where if you put sex in a book that is written by a woman, then yes. it becomes a romance or chiclet or a bonkbuster or something. Whereas yeah. if you put sex in a book that's written by a man, then it's a powerful examination of, of the human form. Yes, and, and also relationships. When Nora Ephron wrote about her divorce, she was a woman scorned and she was overstepping the mark and being a bit of a bitch. When Philip Roth does it, it's this incredibly insight into the the kind of human condition during a breakup yes there's all of it all of that all over the place but I do get quite a lot of it because of some of the things I write about have you had yourself some sort of beauty aha moment where a product or a practice changed your view of yourself or your self-esteem or yes yes definitely no one's ever asked me that before but there is a very definite answer to it so I have um, a skin condition that I was born with that I inherited from my father called ichthyosis 
and it means that your cells turn over too rapidly so you get lots of dry flakiness and that's why I've got quite old hands I've got sort of granny hands which some people on YouTube like to point out to me it's fine I don't care um, yeah I had this not it's not something I've ever thought before but now it, I really want to look at your hands yeah they're like kind of they're liney and that's what people with ichthyosis have oh my gosh it's absolutely fine they work perfectly well and they, they type look- lots of words they earn me money it's all good for the record they do not look granny at all but yeah <laughs> um, so I was born with this skin condition and I was absolutely fine with it all the way through primary school. Nobody really noticed. I was popular. I got away with it. And then when I went to secondary school, I got really badly teased about it by a group of boys. And um, I had been under NHS care my whole life, you know, just going to see a dermatologist twice a year or whatever. And then when I was about 11, because I was being teased, I just decided I was going to take matters into my own hands. And I just stopped using what the dermatologists were giving me the very kind of cheap paraffin-based creams that I was getting from the hospital, which, fine, the NHS did what it could within its um, limitations. And I started experimenting with other things. I started experimenting with cocoa butter, olive oil, things like that, scrubbing, and lots of exfoliation. And when I was about 11 and a half, I got discharged from NHS care for the first time in my life because, as any dermatologist will tell you, is that really, if you have a skin condition, you become a bigger expert in your skin condition Mm. than they can ever hope to be because you live with it and see how it responds all the time and it was so life-changing my ichthyosis compared to other cases of ichthyosis I saw around me including my father's was incomparable I mean mine was so so much better because I had learned how to deal with it and that was really life-changing for me and alongside that um, my my mother left when I was very, very little and my father brought up me and my two brothers and there was no femininity in the house mm. whatsoever. I would wear their hand-me-downs, he would take me to the barber shop to get my hair cut with them. And so I b- was obsessed with clothes and lipstick and perfume and all the girly stuff. And so those two things collided and I just became obsessed, completely obsessed from a really young age with clothes with fashion and beauty to the point where my family played a party game where they would take a copy of Vogue or Elle. I was obsessed with Elle. Elle was my favourite. And they would show me a picture from Elle, a catwalk picture from Elle, and I would tell you who the designer was, who'd done the hair, who'd done the makeup, and who the model was. And I would have been about 12. Should have gone on mastermind with that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like deep nerdery about it. Fabulous and, nerdery. Yeah. And so, um, and I, I'm nerdy about lots of things, but those things in particular... Um, And yeah, so when I became a journalist, it was just natural that I worked on glossies and style mags and I never really, I never really had the lack of respect for that area. I had only reverence and deep respect for it. So I loved, I loved magazines. I still love magazines. I I love that story. I mean, how did you, so how did you get your break in journalism did you just know from 11 years old I'm going to be really good at this I think earlier I my father said that when I was about four I told him I was going to be a writer so I had girl magazine and I had the bunty and then I had just 17 and then I had smash it's and look and l and on and on and on I always had a magazine I was always a subscriber and I would look forward to it all week and all month and I honestly never had another career plan. Yeah. I had no intention of doing anything but being a magazine journalist. Same. That's That was exactly no the interest. same as me. And I kind of wonder if 
even if I think I'd had a crystal ball at 14, 15 and was told there's this going to be this thing called the internet and it's going to completely decimate jobs in yeah. that. And I, I'm not sure I would have been able to do anything else. I would have been physically unable, you know, I just wouldn't have been interested in choosing another path. Yeah, well, exactly. I do loads of different things now that don't involve magazines, but none of them would have come to me without magazines. And the way I got my first break was I'd done loads of work experience. I'd done loads of work experience on Take a Break magazine. I used to work there one day a week, just 17, all of those mags. And then uh, there was a gig going at Loaded magazine um, for fashion assistant, but work experience, just work experience fashion assistant. And so just bagging up clothes and whatnot. And I went there for my interview to see if I could get this gig. And I got there in the morning and the only woman in, in on the whole team was the PA, the editor's PA. And the office was empty and she said, oh, they're not here. They all went to an award ceremony last night and they all got really, really drunk. And nobody's turned up for work. So it was like 11 o'clock or something. It's very on brand for loaded. Yeah. yeah was this so, James Brown days? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So she said, what do you want to do? Do you want to wait or do you want to go away? And I just thought, no, I'm going to wait. So I sat in the fashion office on my own. And I sat there for like an hour and thought, oh, God, you know, what shall I do? And the fashion cupboard was next to me. And I just pulled the handle on the fashion cupboard. And it just came open because, of course, they were so irresponsible. They hadn't locked the fashion cupboard. So I went in and there were just piles and piles and piles of clothes. And so... I just went through them all and I grouped them into designers and I grouped them into PR agencies and I bagged them all up and I wrote all the dockets and I just sorted out the fashion cover in about two and a half hours, three hours. And then eventually they came in and they were like, bloody hell, what's happened to the cupboard? And I said, I've done it. I can't book a van, but it's done, ready to go on a van. And they were like, Christ, okay, well, do you want to start tomorrow? (laughs) So I said, well, I can't. I'll start on Monday. And I started on Monday and then on Wednesday they gave me a job. I was there 48 hours, yeah. But in those days, you could. It's very different now. I mean, this is a long time ago. This is sort of um, mid-90s. In those days, you could get a job. If you were good, if you turned up and you worked really hard and you could be relied on and you were super keen. I always thought, you know, if you were easy for people to have you around. Yeah, absolutely. Then you just got a job. And just the initiative, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If you made people's lives easier without them really having to bother with you then you got a job but it obviously changed because then you know I got a job on the Wednesday and I got paid nine and a half grand I think it was which was fine for me I but think obviously I... nowadays you wouldn't get five yeah. I, well I think when I was deputy editor on my first London job I got paid about that yeah deputy editor yeah I think I got 10 grand so I just pipped you yeah and I worked at the gap on the weekends to bump it Amazing. up yeah. so I used to work seven days a week but now it's obviously much more difficult to but I think that, you know, even that story, I'm not sure even at intern level I would have had the balls to open the door and just go in and sort out the fashion cupboard. I got my break in a, a different way. But so you've always been, you've always struck me as quite tough in and sort of tough presenting. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I am. And that's a compliment, by the way. That's yeah, yeah, I take it as a compliment from you. It is definitely, tough and ambitious are definitely two words that have been thrown in my direction in a disparaging way. Um, I would only ever say them about someone in a complimentary way because I, I think they're really important characteristics. And um, I'm not great with people who aren't ambitious. I'm not great at being friends with people yeah. who aren't ambitious, to be quite honest. Um, all of my closest friends are really ambitious, work really hard, and can be tough. And you're all, all your toughest friends recently slept out on the street for yes. 
Center Point. Yes. Tell us about that because that's like really fresh and you raised a ton of money. And I want to know what was the impetus behind that and what was it like? So I ran away from home when I was really young. So I ran away to London just before my 15th birthday. And I moved in with a man. There's always a man, of course. And then uh, we split up about a year later. And over the next kind of five years, there were various points where I had nowhere to live. And I never slept rough. I never turned tricks. I never did all the horrible, terrible things that lots of people have to do. But I was what Centrepoint, the homeless charity, calls the hidden homeless. Mm. So there are, uh, it's estimated around one in 40 young people is a hidden homeless person, which means you sofa surf, you hang around with people you really shouldn't hang around with because they've got a bed, you stay too long at horrible parties, you stay in horrible relationships because people have somewhere for you to sleep. And I certainly did that lots and very many young people did that. And so I... Um, have always tried to make sure that the charity work I do means something to me personally. Not because the other charities don't matter, but you can't really communicate things unless you really kind of feel immersed in them. Yeah. And so I knew I wanted to do something for Centrepoint, and they do um, an event called The Sleep Out every year where you sleep rough on the Greenwich Peninsula. And it's nothing like the real thing. You are safe. You're not going to get raped. You're not going to get robbed. You're not going to have someone piss on you am I allowed to swear in that regard but you know you're not gonna you're all that horrible stuff that happens to real homeless people doesn't happen but it does give you an approximation of how bloody cold it yeah, is and uncomfortable and, uncomfortable yeah. and you're woken up at 6 30 in the morning and told you have to move on and you have to pick up every single item you have in like 15 minutes flat and you need to get the hell out mm. now I got the hell out back to my lovely house but most people then have to just wander they just wander around until they find somewhere else to lie down. Mm. And it was so cold. I cannot tell you. I had loads of thermals on and I wanted, I had more layers, but I was too cold to take the top layer off to put more thermals on. It was horrible. All of us were just so cold. So there were 13 of us. And as it stands, I think we've raised 38,000 Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. So, yes, it's not as bad as the real thing. It's nowhere near as bad as the real thing. But I do think it's a really important experience to realise that every time you pass somebody lying in a shop front, that they are colder than you can possibly imagine, more frightened than you can possibly imagine. And in a few hours, someone's going to boot them out of the way and tell them to find somewhere else. And that's a full time job, just wandering around with all your belongings, mm. looking for somewhere to sit down. But how long were you part of that hidden homeless? Uh, there were a few spells. Uh, there was one spell for probably about six months. Uh, and I think out of those six months, I probably spent two of those in a squat on Grazing Road. Mm. And going to friends' houses and pretending to fall asleep so I wouldn't have to leave and all that stuff. It was really humiliating. I was very, very, very young. Yeah. Um... So that spell was about six months, and then I had another spell of maybe six to eight weeks, perhaps. Um, but there are some kids who are just doing this for like a year at a time, and then, of course, they run out of options and end up on the embankment or wherever. Um, and so I feel very grateful to have got a chance when I did. I got a chance by a housing benefit from the well, government. Do you have many pinch me moments or? I mean, of course you do. You have the odd one. I think, you know, when my first book came out or um, when I realised that my house was mine and and things like that. Of course, you have pinch me moments. But on the whole, no, I'm not that surprised. Yeah. Uh, which sounds really arrogant. It's not that. It's just 
I never felt that there was an option but to make it work. Mm. And I feel that about most things. I'm totally ready to fail. I completely accept that I will fail, and that's cool. I'm ready for that. I think it's also amazing the way that you, through these sleepouts, do draw attention to the fact that actually lots of people are only a couple of really bad pieces of luck from ending up on housing yeah. benefit or ending up on the dole. It happened to me once. Did it? Ago. Yeah. And were you sofa surfing? No, I, actually, this was, a, this was a, a different thing. I was very lucky that I, I was in a house... But after my newspaper closed, I was so naive about how anything worked that I, I turned down what would have been some potentially brilliant freelance work. So I was like, another staff job will be on the horizon, yes. despite the fact 70 people have just lost their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, in no, in very short order, I was I was on the dole. I was down at Peckham Job Centre yeah. trying to find jobs and and also getting housing benefit. And I, I was in a house and everything that was absolutely great, but I basically didn't leave my bed every day and, unless I had to go to the job centre because I was just on the internet trying to find some more work and trying to find some more call, calls and also trying desperately not to slip away from the life that I'd been trying to get. Yes, exactly. It, I mean, in my day, there was no internet, so you just had to go along from shop to shop to shop and say, you know, have you got any jobs and do babysitting and then I would do work experience on magazines and then go off and earn some money. I worked in host desk clubs. I did some really bad stuff, like some really, really dodgy stuff. But what's been interesting is exactly what you're saying. In the past few years, because of the turnover of employment, the um, the number of homeless young people in London has doubled in the past six years, just in the past six years. And I think I'm sure that that has something to do with it, the, the sort of ephemeral nature of employment now yeah and loads and loads of people tweeted me and instagram me or have left comments on my donation page saying i was homeless too and i've been quite taken aback by you know women with proper jobs and children and mortgages have said i was homeless too or i got made redundant or i split up for my husband or my mum split up for my dad and we had to move into a refuge because we didn't get the house and you know all these stories it's so 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 common and terrifying so scary yeah. and i think it's the thing we can all imagine and shudder not having a home yeah. And just not being able to get a shower. I got kicked out of sleep out at 6.30. I couldn't clean my teeth. I was rank, you know, like I couldn't clean my teeth. I couldn't wash my face, never mind have a shower. There was nowhere warm enough, warm enough for me to stand with a face wipe. Yeah. You know, it was, it was horrible. So we can all imagine that scenario, I think. Well, have a look at Centrepoint's website then and see yeah. how you can also, yeah. and particularly with, you know, this time of year, I... I when it gets cold, you do, you just can't help thinking about there are people out there who... Worst time imaginable. Yeah, yeah. And do it next year. If anyone's listening, sign up next year. I'm so not doing it next year. <laughs> well, I'm going to do something else. I look dreadful after a night in my own bed and being, having somewhere to clean my teeth. So if anyone wants me to sit out and look the worst thing they've ever seen in their life, then yeah, I'll do it. But yeah. We'll get some more thermals first. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. I, I want to talk about ghosting somebody and whether or not you think it's ever acceptable for any particular reason. It's happened to me and it's very, very painful at the time. Always a guy, always. Um, but then I have many years ago, I'm talking probably about 20 years ago, I did ghost a girlfriend of mine just because I didn't really know what else to do. And that was probably, I probably would be a little bit more honest and a bit ballsier about it now but we'd run out of things to say to each other she was um she had a few sort of like bigoted opinions that I didn't really care for she'd kind of like changed in the college years that in a way that I didn't really recognize so I just stopped calling her and stopped returning the calls and I wish I hadn't done that because I still feel really dreadful about that mm. um and god knows how she felt about it probably furious but yeah it's nice for things to have an ending but it doesn't yeah. always happen that way and I think the older that we get and the more that we are settled into, you know, our beloved friendship cliques and everything and our, and our groups, you can't really imagine abandoning somebody. But life isn't always like that. And there are those those jagged edges in it. And there are those jagged friendships, particularly when you're finding out who you are and what you can tolerate and, and also your manners as well. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sally? Well, I have very strong feelings about this because I was ghosted by a very close friend a few years ago and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. Like, it really mm. was. It sounds like it sounds like such a dramatic thing to say, but it took me about two and a half years to recover from it because I just wasn't allowed to know. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I was so wounded by it, which isn't to say I've never ghosted. I've definitely ghosted men in my youth. Um, and they have ghosted me, and I just kind of think that's collateral damage. I think that's just kind of part of it. It's not nice. I regret it. I don't think it was very classy of me. However, it happens. But I think it depends on the level of intimacy between you and the person who's ghosting you. Yeah. If you're just on the dating scene, so what? But when you're very, very close to somebody, and in this case, when somebody's very close to your children, and you see them all the time and you've been a really big part of their life and they of yours for quite a while and then they literally vanish oh on you. Um, and you really had no I, clue or no indication that this was going to happen? or No. Well, I noticed there was a little bit of snippiness and then I asked about the snippiness. And I said, oh, you seem, you, know, you seem quite cross about something. Can you let me know what it is? I'm perfectly prepared to accept that I might have done something wrong, but I have no idea what it is. Please give me the chance to, you know. And, and um, that was the last time she ever spoke to me when I asked what was going on. And, um, and since then, I've seen her cross the road when she's seen me. I've seen wow. her. Yeah, and and it's been years now. I think it's been about 
four and a half years but it took me about two and a half to get over it and my children asking where she was mm, and that's, see that's tough yeah. yeah and and actually I wouldn't do that I mm. wouldn't do that but that's that's also not doing something in your teens and 20s that is making a decision oh, to I, avoid confrontation I mean I'm nearly 43 yeah like there? we're not kids I'm yeah. nearly 43 that's crazy uh, yeah I mean I would like to think I'm sort of hastening to add now I would like to think that if this was happening to me now I would deal with it differently uh, you know, this is a girl I went to high school with. We reunited and it was just so clear that we were just completely different people th- than the memory we had of each other. But I feel like I understood that in a way that she didn't. And I just I didn't think I just didn't have the maturity to to yeah. actually articulate that. It didn't come up in my youth, but yeah. it's something I can yeah. conceive that I yeah. would have done. But because we were so much older, I was really, really, really broken close by friends. it. Yeah. Really close friends. And actually, my best friend from school, Rachel, who is still my best friend from school, she she was recently losing touch with a close friend of hers. And she said, oh, I just can't deal with it. I'm just not going to ring her anymore. And I said, no, mm. no, you will not do that because it broke me when it happened mm. to me with somebody else. And, and gradually she accepted that she was just kind of trying to not deal with it or whatever. But she was on the verge of ghosting somebody. And I said, you must never do that because it's so painful. Mm. It's so, so painful. But in dating, I think it's ten a penny and I do think it's crappy behavior. Mm. Um, but I'm more accepting of the fact that it's a wild west out there. But I think I, I have, I hold female friendships with such sort of reverence. They're so important to me. Yeah. Um, that it seems to me like a particularly kind of violent line to cross for me. The mm. kind of deep, close female friendships to be ghosted is horrible. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that we do, and, you know, I, I think we're the three of us would all be the same in that way and really valuing our friends with our, friendships with our girlfriends and our, those relationships. But there is something where you do kind of like end up lacking the skill set to approach those relationships yeah. sometimes in the same way that you do a sexual relationship for I some know what you mean. for some reason um it will take me probably 6 months to speak to a girlfriend about something that's really bothering me about some sort of like conflict between us because i'm so frightened of the confrontation and so frightened of losing that relationship mm-hmm. whereas i mean my husband can't do anything without me you know like calling him on the spot so i find i do find the intimacy of those relationships harder then I, then I I'm do. definitely more yeah. forthright with a man, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder true. whether it's just because we feel more secure in those relationships, like with, with our with our husbands or yeah. whatever. And so you know that basically having a shout about, I don't know, dishwashers or cats or all that sort of thing isn't going to isn't going to bite you back. But is it maybe that we don't have enough arguments or, or, or just have those conversations with our close friends in case something breaks? Yeah, and the and the other thing is, and I'm not speaking out of turn here because I've written a whole column about this, and, and my husband absolutely accepts this and knew this when he married me. The bottom line is, I could live without my husband, but I couldn't live without my friends. But I think that's an excellent basis for a marriage. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, think that I is do too. Absolutely. And, and he could live without me. I, do, yeah. I I think it's weird to be married yeah. to somebody who you absolutely couldn't live without. Yeah. I think mm. that's quite an odd dynamic. But my girlfriends, I could not live without. Yeah. I, I would absolutely hate to anyway. And so, well, that's why I'm not going to pick fights with them. I, <laughs> yeah. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. 
so following on from that, we don't need our husbands. We love our, we love you all. We love you, but mm-hmm. we don't need you. Do you think it's all right to sometimes, not all the time, sometimes sort of like mourn or at least miss your previous life? And I'm talking about whether that's without your children or without your partner. The, the example that I always have for me is like I quite often leave work Friday, 6, 6.30 and central London the pubs are absolutely rammed with people out on the streets. Now, I'm not desperate to spend every Friday night in a pub, but I'm always, it's always the point where I remember there was a time when at 6.30 in the evening, I would decide at 6.30 in the evening what I was doing that yeah. night. I really miss the spontaneity of my pre-child life. Is that a bad thing? I don't think it's bad at all. No. I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's perfectly reasonable. I um, When I had my first child, um, for me, that sense of mourning was partly that. was I stopped being invited to things because, of course, everyone assumes you can't come because you have a baby. They don't realise how much the invitation would mean to you. Um, yeah. But also work. I felt like someone had died not Why? going to work. Oh. I just, I, you know, that was what I missed the most and I completely mourned my working life and I mourned my working social life the kind of you know having a glass of wine with my staff or colleagues or whatever after work um and I felt terrible about it and I found looking after a baby incredibly boring and lonely and hard so hard so hard and they won't do what you say I mean toddlers is a whole other sphere of it's like losing that control I sort of had this image of my pre-baby life where I was standing in a bar like that at some work event with a glass of champagne in my hand throwing my head back and sort of oh, oh, oh I don't think I ever actually did that but that was the image I had of yeah. my pre-child life yes yes when in fact I remember being quite a lot of depressing wine bars and thinking oh god I really <laughs> yeah. want to go home but of course yeah. you, you do mourn it and I think it's perfectly fine to mourn it but one thing I would say to any young women who've just had children listening it you absolutely get past it yeah. I do not mourn my childless life in any way shape or form because I really like the age my kids are yeah. I really like having big kids I really like being with them I would rather be with them than be in a bar yeah same um most of the time and I don't yeah. I don't regret in any way I never regretted having them but I missed the times when they weren't around but actually I really enjoy the times when they're around now yeah. I think you get past it it's such a period of transition you go into this job being a mum where you've had no training there's no sick pay there's no holiday well, it's like you know to me it felt like someone saying right now you you now live under the sea yeah. It, was, it was like that much of a life transformation. Your home is now yeah. in a rock garden under the sea. It was like bizarre. But um, yeah, when, when when they become people, it's it's slightly different. People have their natural age with kids, I think. Yeah. I just absolutely loved being with my kids from about seven. Yeah, they're good fun. Seven onwards was fun. I'm fab. really enjoying my godchildren now that they've sort of got to sentience. So I've got one who's about five. And is just the most delightful person. And it's just lovely knowing that she'll become even more so. But I mean, I, I don't have children yet, but I'm, I'm 35 now and I still occasionally feel a pang for being in my mid-twenties when, as you say, Joe, you would go on these spontaneous adventures. Yeah. I seem to have spent pretty much three solid years going to bars in the back of Narnian wardrobes or pop-ups where you would sit in a teacup and drink something out of 
some, another teacup or watering can or something. And they were, I mean, looking back, I genuinely don't need to go to another pop-up bar for as long as I live. But it really, was so truly much not. Fun. No, yeah. never. But it was so, it was so lovely because it just felt like you were dancing into the creativity, particularly of a city. And I think London in your 20s, any big city in your 20s, is such a dynamic and glorious place to be. But at the same time, I love... I love going home and having dinner with my husband, seeing the cat waking up from the latest of 19 places that she slept that day and just going, I'm home and this is bliss. That's the other thing as well, of course. As you get older, you're more likely to like where you live and to like the people you live with. So I was often in bars in my 20s because I lived with people I couldn't really be bothered Mm. to sit around and watch telly with. But, you know, I really like my family and I really like my house Mm. and there's lots of space in it and there are nice things in it in a way that I couldn't say about when I was younger. And also in your 20s, you're very often at a pop-up or a restaurant because you've been invited there for free. And you've got no money for dinner. Exactly. I think for my My, first year in London, I went to as many screenings as I feasibly could because I knew that I could have an entire plate of Pret sandwiches. Yeah, that was dinner. dinner. That was my freelance life dinner. But um, yeah, I I suppose I was always thinking broader than kids as well. I slightly regret I was always very, very bad at being single. And if I was one of those people who whenever I was single, the focus was not being single. And I really, I regret that. And not, I love my husband, as we all know. I love going home to him. We get on very well, all of that sort of thing. But it, I, I think I had a holiday a few years ago where it was just me on holiday. And it was such a bizarre sensation to wake up every morning and do exactly what I wanted yeah. to do without any consultation with anybody, which I'm perfectly fine with. I'm perfectly fine with having that compromise. But it was like... You absolute mega dick. You could have been doing this for years when you were actually. You just didn't appreciate single. it. <laughs> so, yeah, that it's kind of things like that. I think it's all right to sometimes look back and think, why didn't I do that properly? But do you think that that as well is a price that ambitious people pay for things? In that you're always looking at the goal, you're always looking at the thing you're trying to achieve, whether Possibly. it's yeah. the marriage, the job that that you don't enjoy, the journey always. Yeah, to get to the. Prize. God, that's deep. But, um, yeah, that's given me. I, I'm going to go home in a cab today, just sort of like with that wide-eyed, red-faced emoji, sort of like feeling like, oh, Sally's really given me something to think about there. But I love you, Ross. You know I love you. What do we think about, are you okay with leaving arguments unresolved? I'll let you know in 10 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that was a predictable answer. It's dangerous, though, isn't it? Because it depends what the argument's about. Because there are some arguments that you can have, like in a relationship or a friendship, that almost become like a lovely thread that sort of illustrates the friendship. And it's all sort of fairly good natured, but you might you might just never resolve. And it's just like two parts of your personality that sort of having a lovely clash with each other. I don't know why I'm doing sailor arms. They feel I'm necessary there. We'll yeah. do it more. But then... But then it sort of it comes back to what we we were talking about earlier with, you know, if you if you don't sort of resolve something, then you just sort of walk around with this awful burning resentment, and that's that's not necessarily good for you, and it's not necessarily good for the other person, however fun it can feel at the time if you feel in the right. I'm th- I'm thinking about my friends um, with whom I clash violently on some political issues. Um, there's one friend in my life, and we I'm not even going to name the gender, but we will never see eye to eye on abortion. And I love this person in every other respect. And so I feel for the sake of loving our time together, I have to just accept that we're never, ever going to agree on that. 
I think if it's an argument on something like that, if it's an argument of principle or a difference of opinion, I just let things fly all the time. Mm. If it's conflict between us, I would not leave it unresolved. So I would never have an argument with my husband and go to bed on it, never, ever, ever. We would stay up all night talking it through if we had to, or we would just decide to let it go but I would never go to bed angry but if it's about something like politics oh man I just yeah. like I'm too old to be arguing about those things forever I went to see Bananarama last night which was brilliant and uh, beforehand had a glass of wine with some people I didn't know very well and it transpired during the conversation that this guy had voted leave and I'm I just thought, oh, you know, I'm in this nice house. I'm having champagne with people. This is a really pleasant evening. What possible thing is there to gain from me telling you you're wrong, completely yeah. and utterly wrong? Um, there is simply no point. And on the internet, I live for an unresolved argument. I live for it. Like, <laughs> people will be sending me 35 tweets arguing with me. I'm like, mute. I have yeah. no interest whatsoever in wasting my day having futile circular arguments but if it's someone close to me and it's conflict between us I'm, I, I need to sort it out because I won't be able to sleep mm, it just t- well, it, it ties everything up neatly but as you say there's a difference between an argument where it's actually more like you're having to try and change that person's world view and I've, oh gosh I've tried to do it with again relatives re-Brexit and that sort of thing and actually I look at my husband and my sister-in-law for example who are very good at being calm and just sort of letting it go and maybe responding to any particularly incendiary points with just a sort of a way of deflating it anyway almost like popping the rage balloon in such a nice way so that's what I'm trying to go it's to funny you both do. made me think now though what are the deal breakers I think racism is probably a deal yeah, breaker isn't totally. it yeah. and for me homophobia would be a deal breaker because then out of a sense of protection to people in my life for people in my mm. life I would have to cull yeah. yeah, I think. But I wouldn't waste time trying to change someone's mind. Because whoever changed their mind about something that deep-rooted on the basis of you having a go at them on the internet or in person. But I don't think True. I could have them around. Well, you've made me think that I, I, could, um, I could definitely go to sleep on an argument. I need to. I need to do that because I've got such a vile temper that mm. I'll probably, I, I need to walk away and retreat. Decompress. And then think about whether or not I really do need to say that thing that was going to leap out. And yeah, but particularly on social media, I think there are also there are some people that you can argue with on social media who you don't know, and some who, after like a tweet or two, it becomes completely apparent that, that there is no good way for this to end. No. and that, as you say, the way to to do it is just to. But what I hate about that, it. what I hate about walking away from those arguments on Twitter is then the other person. I it really, really riles me. The other person feels like, well, you've got no comeback, so that's that's why you haven't said anything. Ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is that's such a. I've learnt I've learnt to deal with that though. I've made my peace with that, and I I will end up just saying, look, it's fine for us to disagree. It's fine that I have things to do. Have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Good the, day to you. Good, good day to you. I said good day. <laughs> yes, there is um there is another one that I haven't had to pull out for a while, thank goodness. But um, if somebody is just being completely vile and also crucially banging their head against a door, I will just say something completely infuriatingly calm, like it must be very exhausting being being you. I'm so sorry about that. I'm going to mute you now, but I hope you have a lovely day. Yes, I'll always say Bye. have a good day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and then just off. Yeah, and presumably people go on and on and on thereafter, but I can't hear them anymore. If yeah. I can't see them, That's I'm kind lovely. of all right. Yeah. Lovely wall of silence. I don't think anyone has ever changed their mind about anything big on the internet. 
That's a big statement. I, I just don't, I don't. <laughs> if you really believe, if you really believe in Trump or you're really anti-abortion or you're really pro-Brexit, I don't think somebody on the internet is going to change your mind. But do you, I don't think that kind of belligerent stick in the muddiness or whatever you want to call it is is um, exclusive to the right wing. You know, oh, I think oh my God, it, so not. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, I think that, that that always amazes me that people can be just as entrenched in the right on opinions. That, oh, well, I've had as much crap from people, from Corbyn supporters as anybody. And I'm, you know, and I'm a Labour voter. Yeah. But I, they hate me as much as anybody. I'm, I'm a centrist mum, of course, which is the worst thing you could ever possibly be. Just the worst. <laughs> it's the absolute pits. <laughs> but um, my husband and I have completely different politics, and I, I've just learned that I can't, um, I can't go there because just for the sake of harmony, yeah, I can't be bothered to argue. And actually, we agree about fundamental things. Just we just put our cross in a different box. So I think I think that's been a huge part of growing up for me is just knowing which battles to pick. I just, yeah. So that's probably why, I, even though I brought up this topic, I haven't actually had that many unresolved arguments because I don't have much energy for arguing. Knowing which battles to pick is really crucial. And the other thing that's happened to me as I've got older is my ability to go, do you know, I'm not really sure. Mm. Yes, and to admit that you don't know. I'm not really yeah. sure. And I think for someone like me, and you, when my job is to have a strong opinion, actually it's been quite a liberating thing to find, not always have to have one. Well, I find that this is like question time is a, is a really stressful thing for me to watch yeah. because whoever's talking, I think, oh, yes, yes, that's very true, yes, absolutely. You're quite suggestible And when then somebody else says something, I think, oh, but on the other hand, yes, you're right. So my biggest nightmare is ever being asked on to question time because I would just sit there and go, what do you think? Tell, yeah. me, tell, tell me what I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no, I quite often think, hmm, don't know, not sure. And sometimes the, the big journalist for that is Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris can change my mind about anything. He writes so beautifully yeah. and in such a nuanced way that we have completely different politics, but he can talk me around to a lot of things, even if only for half an hour. But I quite like that flexibility in my viewpoint as I get older. I'm not mm. entrenched in things and in a way. It also means that you're always learning. Yeah. Which I think is, is something that you're... It's almost like you're supposed to have all your opinions fully formed by the time you're 30 but the world is always changing and people are always changing and it's and it's nice to yeah keep on evolving and we can resolve that we are quite cool with being unresolved yeah why not does that sound fair i'm happy with that thank you very much sally hughes Thanks thank you for being here me. now uh your books are if anyone can i know they're flying off the shelves but pretty honest and pretty iconic are still available they're absolutely still available everywhere and um, then my third book comes out next year, which I haven't written yet, of but, course. But, you know, we're, we're committing to that now, <laughs> and it's just going to happen. I've said it now, so I, I mean, have to write it. Millions of people have just heard you say that. Absolutely <laughs> millions. So it's got to happen. Can you tell us anything about it? Um, it's not a beauty book. Um, <gasps> it encompasses lots of my interests. That is all I can the say. Sally Hughes universe yes it's a very simple like Martha idea. Stewart sort of a thing yeah it's a very simple idea but when I told my publisher about it they said oh my god why has nobody ever thought of that before don't tell anyone oh I'll tell okay right. have another drink Sally <laughs> Sally Hughes thank you so much for being here today thank you Kat Brown thank you and uh, this has been Is It Just Me thank you so much for listening 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.